And so this amazing time of year as we approach Easter, we are reminded of this, this plan of God that is so freaky that we can hardly believe it. He sends his very own son, puts on flesh, becomes a man. And then he goes to a cross and lets the people he's, that are really literally beating him to death, he dies for them. And then he rises from the dead so that you and I can live eternally with him. I mean, that, you couldn't make that story up. And since we are given so much, we are called as Christians to live a life of generosity. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We've had a different word every week, evidenced by these gifts, wrapped gifts up here. Today, we're going to be talking about the word commitment. And the title of our message is Bloom Where You Are Planted. All right? So let me tell you what that means if you were to go and research that passage or idiom. Here's what it says. A person should take advantage of the opportunities they have in their life and be grateful for their present situation. So how many have ever heard of this phrase before? Yeah, look, they're all over 50. All right. So, if we travel, so here's a question before I say that. How many people can guess when was this phrase first brought up? One at a time. All right, you won't get it anyway. I just do that to make me look smart. It first came about in the latter part of the 1500s. Wow. And see, you people who don't know, it's been around for a long time. The Bishop of Geneva, St. Francis de Sales, is credited with having said the following. Truly, charity has no limit. That word charity can also be love. For the love of God has been poured into our hearts by his Holy Spirit dwelling in each one of us calling us to a life of devotion and inviting us to bloom in the garden where he has planted and directed us to radiate the beauty and spread the fragrance of his providence. Beautiful, huh? He is credited with where this saying came from. So I don't know about you, but whenever possible, I take advantage of any opportunity in my life. And maybe like you, I sometimes find it hard to be grateful for every place I find myself. You know, I know I should be, and usually I can get there, but it doesn't always come out my initial reaction. So with that in mind, now we're going to travel back even further, and we're going to travel back to Jerusalem in those first few years of Christian development. And somehow these Christians have the ability to be grateful and generous in the midst of a horrific event that occurs to them. Let's look at Acts 8, 1 to 8. Acts chapter 8, 1 to 8. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul 
was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Boy, talk about having to bloom where you're planted. Stephen has been brutally murdered. Up until this point, up until that very moment, the believers have been experiencing great prosperity. I mean, they were coming to Jesus by the thousands, all right? And their excitement was untold. They, they had been set free. This message Jesus brought was freedom from the law and, and all the good things. And then this happens. Except for the apostles, all the believers, again, of which there were thousands, they're scattered because of the intensity of the persecution. These persecutors, which were mainly Jewish leaders, were resentful of the success that the apostles were having with this newfound faith. You see, they thought that once Jesus was dead, this was all going to go away. Because that's what happened over the history of of Jerusalem and over the history of the Jews, that there were other self-appointed messiahs that would come, and they would kill them, and their their followers would just go away. But, But that didn't happen. In fact, they have to do the scattering, but little do they know, that was a big mistake on their part. Big mistake on their part. Those who didn't scatter were thrown in prison, both men and women. This phrase used in verse 3 says they were dragged off. It's a brutal phrase. It actually is interpreted as drug violently out by the hair. Okay? It was a horrible time. Again, they go from this amazing prosperity to everything just crashing down around them. And who was leading this persecuting pact? Saul. Saul, who we later would know as the Apostle Paul. Now, God is so cool, right? Is God not cool? He takes this man, Saul, who is the mention of his name would have Christian believers shake with fear. And he takes him and he makes him a man would evangelize most of the known world and write two-thirds of the New Testament. What can't God do? What can't God do? Isn't it ironic that not too many years later, Paul would write this in 2 Timothy? Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, that was right. But he was not only the receiver of that persecution, he actually was the giver out of it. Uh, Giver outer of it. That's probably not true. That's not good grammar. All right. Well, back to our story. It's a good story. The new followers have accepted Jesus, accepted the situation, and now they're using it to spread the gospel further and further. They were preaching and proclaiming the gospel wherever they went. And many of them were only weeks or months old. Stephen was murdered literally under two years after Jesus had died. See, the passage in Acts 8 shows us that there is always a purpose and a plan 
that God has as to where we are located. Probably better said, where he locates us. See, the story, this story is an example of how God works through something that is meant to destroy. But it turns it into a means of significantly extending the reach of the gospel. On a personal note, going back to the 70s, as I said earlier, I think it reminds me of Pastor Don. Um, at 74, I'm in partnership with an individual who is anything but saved. And I'm not saved. I would be saved a year later. But everything went wrong. I mean, everything. We, you know, I was successful when I went into this partnership. My success went down. This guy took me down paths I had never been down before. And I knew it was wrong. My marriage was on the rocks. I mean, everything seemed bad. A year later, I was saved. A year later, I began a walk that would change not anything I do, the lives of a number of people. See, we too can learn to bloom where we are planted and find ways to serve God in different and sometimes difficult situations and circumstances. That's, in, in 1974, I literally pretty much had a breakdown. I was, I was lost. I couldn't imagine how to get out of where I was. And God just came in. I was located there for a reason. If that had been successful, I wouldn't be here talking to you. Or at least I don't think I would. You see, these believers were committed to Christ. They believed in what they had been taught and what they had experienced. Instead of saying, you know, at that time, are you kidding me? Hey, I didn't sign up for this. You know, what started out as awesome has turned into awful. You can count me out. They didn't say that. You see, I think a lot of people today would say that in the same situation. I think some of us might say that. But they showed their commitment to Christ in the face of great persecution and loss. Think of the reality of their situation. I mean, they're scattered. They don't, they don't get to go home. They don't get to pack up. I mean, they've left homes and lands and jobs and family many times and loved ones. And to make matters worse, if that was possible, many of them end up in Samaria, Okay, Samaria is not a good place to end up if you're a Jew. They hate the Samaritans. In fact, they don't even talk to them. They never go through Samaria if they absolutely don't have to. No respectable Jew would be where they are doing what they're doing. Remember the, I love this story. There's a few stories I love in the Bible. I love them all, just so you know, but I love some better than others. All right, so the story of the woman at the well, remember with Jesus, the Samaritan woman? And, and his disciples go off. I think his disciples went off because they, they would have never wanted this to happen. So he goes over and he talks to her. And, you know, he tells her about living water and everything. But then he says, why don't you go home and get your husband? I love it. A little sarcasm, Greg. I'm just telling you. All right. So he says, why don't you go home and get your husband? And she said, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And you're not married to the person you're living with. How would you like somebody reading your mail like that? She runs home. She tells everybody, here's what she says. Come see the man who's told me everything I've ever done. Now, he didn't tell her anything but that one thing. But you know what? To her, that was her issue that was keeping her from going deeper. And God called it out. But she said, tell, I, amazing to me. 
You see, the Samaritans received the word with joy. Why? Because they weren't super religious. They didn't have a really good idea of who the Messiah was or what he was going to be like, like the Jews did. They, they knew where they were. They were lost. I don't know about you, but have you ever had this experience? I find it's difficult sometimes to share the gospel more with religious people than with people that don't know anything. Okay, so here's my story because Mike Shaughnessy isn't here. Oh, this is, I wonder if he watches this. Hi, Mike. So Mike Shaughnessy was a, a well-respected businessman. He had a great uh, athletic career in Manchester, was going to go into the pros, messed up his knee, as, as I recall. And anyway, well-respected. And, and Mike was being led by a number of people around him to consider the Lord, and I happened to be, have the pleasure of being one of them. So Mike gets saved. He goes home, as anyone would do, tells his wife, Hey, Sue, you need to be saved. Sue's response was, saved from what? He said, well, saved from, from hell. Said, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I don't think I'm going to hell. Oh, no, you got to know Jesus. I know Jesus. Anyway, this went on for a while. She was good. She was, actually. Sue was really good. And, and Mike wasn't as good. Just Oh, sorry. Um, but, but Sue just drags this on until finally it's like enough. And she gets saved. And you know what happens? Her life radically changes. And she was a great witness for the gospel because she would tell people that thought they were okay that you're not okay. And there's something beyond this. And she goes on just to, to be amazing. So anyway, just thought I'd tell you that story. Hi, Mike. Um, these new converts knew that just like them, the Samaritans needed a Savior. And they knew, and this was shocking at that time, that they were no less unworthy. See, they were freed from the law, but this other concept that God loves us all was one thing that they tied into. So here's a question for us. Have you ever had anyone in your life that you didn't want to share the gospel with? I mean, someone that's hurt you. You say no, but I'm going to try and get you to say yes here. Someone that's hurt you, someone that's offended you, someone that's taken you and, and maligned you. And, and maybe you wouldn't call it, I wouldn't want to share the gospel. And maybe you would say, I don't think I will have the opportunity. That's a nice way of saying it. But you see, God may have put you in that very situation because you're the best one to reach them. See, the last thing they would ever expect is that you would care enough about them to try and talk to them about this. God will use those things. He'll locate you there. He'll plant you and say, Ed, bloom in this situation. And I've had the chance to do that. And I'll tell you, it hasn't always worked out. Sometimes it's really not good. But when it does work out, man, to God be the glory. When that happens, God is so glorified at your obedience. So these Jewish believers now pour out their lives to these Samaritans. These Christians were never commissioned to preach. They were never taught how to do this. They just did it out of the abundance of their heart. It just overflowed. They were so grateful for what they had found that it just, it just came out of them. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. 
See, in verse 5, it says that Philip preached the gospel, but that word preach is actually much stronger than preach. It actually means to cry out. So he stood on the street corners and yelled out the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it said that, that crowds listened to him. There was great joy, great joy in Samaria. Healings, deliverances, and most importantly, people being saved. See, what motivated these Christians to preach the gospel so profusely? They had been given the amazing gift of salvation. They were totally committed and generously shared the very same joy they had received from someone in their lives who had taken the time to share the truth of the gospel with them. So I want to see by a show of hands, how many people here have someone in your life that shared the gospel with you that had a lot to do with you ultimately accepting the Lord? How many here have been saved in any kind of an evangelistic crusade that you've ever been to? Raise your hands. That's, I, I had that same question asked for me by a, a, an individual, uh, Francis Frangipane, at one of our conferences. And he said, if you want to know why you can't rely on those, is because almost all salvation is one-on-one. That's what it is. You know, and that's why all those hands go up. See, they were totally committed to this. They were willing to share something they'd received. You know, for me, at age 25, after that failed partnership, I had another partner. His name was Jack Hartman. And Jack took me to a meeting one time. And it was a full gospel meeting. And I came home and said to my wife, Jack has had a breakdown. He's crazy. He's become some religious fanatic. I got to find another partner again. But Jack didn't give up on me. And I was really screwed up. And Jack just kept coming after me. And ultimately, him and a number of other people that God used brought me to that. But you see, Jack modeled this for me. I was able to take how he shared the gospel with me. And and in similar ways, I would have that opportunity to share with a number of other people in the years that would follow You see, these towns that these Christians went to in Samaria, they became a place of refuge. But more than that, they were places where the believers became a family, just like in Jerusalem. But they were in the God-forsaken country, so they thought, of Samaria. See, these Christians were scattered like seeds. But what happens when you scatter seeds? They sprout and they grow wherever they land. And it's an awesome thing. These new Christians affected and influenced the areas they were in despite the fact that this whole thing started because of a horrific persecution. And that's why there was great joy. Because these people refused to let the hardships keep them from sharing what they had to offer. They weren't bummed over the fact, why did this happen, Lord? They weren't questioning, saying, oh God, if you're real, how could you let this happen to me? They were so convinced of God's commitment to them that they evidenced a tremendous commitment to Him. And what they had was this amazing love for their Lord and Savior. And nothing and no one could steal that from them. So the question for you and me, in the places God has 
placed you and I in, are just our lives, our families, our neighborhood, our communities, are we using that influence for good? For his purposes. And his purpose is a single purpose. His purpose is to spread his kingdom. First thing Jesus gave, gave his instruction was go into all the world what, and preach the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That if we can believe in him, that we're not going to perish. See, whether we're going to be somewhere for a short period of time, a college situation, or a long period of time, God will put people in your path and my path. Even if you dislike where you currently are, we can ask God for opportunities to serve and grow. And he helps us to grow in love for the surroundings and the people that we initially didn't even want to be with. But are we too complacent, you and I? I'm not putting you in this category, putting me as well, about sharing the gospel because we don't have that same sense of urgency as these first century Christians did? Have we become comfortable? I remember hearing a message from uh, Pastor Steve Braun out of Florida. His message was this, have you become comfortable with the fact your neighbor is going to hell? Oh, I hated that message. I hated it because I said, yeah, God, in some ways I have. I'm surrounded by Christians most of the time. So let me tell you a story. It just happened. So I have a business associate, and I don't know him all that well. I haven't spent much time with him. But he was diagnosed about a year or so ago with a very rare form of cancer. He had to go through horrific treatments, but he beat it the first time. But he came back. Not unusual with this kind of cancer. He would go for five weeks of radiation treatment every single day. If you've ever had radiation, you can understand how horrific that will be. So he gets it again, and he beats it again. But just recently, it's back. But the problem now is it's metastasized. And it's in four different places of his body. And they've given him no hope. From everything I could tell and the little I knew about him, he wasn't a Christian. So, guess what? I hear the Lord say to me, what are you going to do? I said, oh, I'm going to share. I'm going to share. And so he actually ends up coming into our, our offices for a business meeting that we set up, partly motivated by this whole situation. And we meet, and then he goes off to another room, and he meets with other people, and I just hear the Lord say, are you going to share? I said, yeah, I'm going to schedule a trip to go see him. He lives a little bit further away. I'm going to schedule a trip to go see him. I, I am. I'm going, to, I'm going to do that. And then God says to me, he's here. Uh, so, and I, don't get me wrong. I, I love, I don't mind at all sharing the, the gospel, but this guy I didn't know very well. It seemed like he was all business. Uh, he's going through a tough time in his life. I don't know. You know, I was just, and, uh, but I know I would someday, but I don't know how many days he has left. So I went down and, and said, hey, Bill, his name wasn't Bill. Uh, hey, Bill, do, will you have a few minutes after you're done this meeting? He said, sure, what do you want? Oh, just, just want to talk to you. So he comes back into my office, and we sit there. He's probably in his 50s, mid-50s. And I started asking him some questions I had already asked him earlier. <laughs> 
just to make, make talk, you know? And he says, Ed, what, what am I here for? I, we talked about all that. <laughs> and I said, well, here's the thing, Jack. I think you know I'm a Christian. Yeah. So, well, if I believe what I believe, then I have to tell you what I believe because if I don't, you're going to hell. So that wasn't the best way to start off, all right? You just kind of looked at me like, but that's what came out, all right? Hey, what can I tell you? So I kind of realized that wasn't the way to start out. So I immediately go into this, I take him from Genesis to Revelation. I give him the gospel. I don't let him talk. I just fire at him. And at the end, I, I say to him, How do you, what do you think? And he kind of looks at me and says, well, he said, um, I don't know. I, I think I, I believe that. Okay. I said, are you going to heaven? He said, oh, I don't know. I said, yeah. You don't believe what I believe. Because I know I'm going to heaven. I gave him a bunch of scriptures about that. And I said, Bill, you're going to be out of here probably in a series of months. Do you really want to die on this earth not knowing if you're going to heaven? Because as I started off this conversation, there's another place to go. And you don't want to go there. And I told him about, you know, Romans where it says, you know, you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And he says to me, so if I do this, I have to tell someone? I say, yeah, that's the idea. I said, it's supposed to be a public thing. You're not supposed to be ashamed of it. And so then I said, and I said, Bill, would you pray with me? Could we pray the sinner's prayer? And, and that does two things. It allows you to say, I know I'm going to heaven. But it's also something I hear. You're telling me. And he looks at me and says, I'd like to do that. Who'd have thunk? So we get to pray together. And I don't mean this is self-serving at all, because, he, but he says to me, Ed, I owe you a lot for what you've done for me over the years. But now I owe you a lot more. And I said to him, don't, don't give me any credit here. It's the Lord that loves you. It's the Lord that put this on my heart to tell this to you. And don't you dare give me any credit for this. Because his love is what motivated me. I actually was having a hard time doing this. But God spurred me on. So it was an interesting, you know, awakening for me to just, you know, realize I, I need to be more bold. I mean, I've been fortunate to lead many, many people to the Lord, but I, I don't want to get complacent. I don't, want to, I don't want to say, okay, Lord, I'm whatever age I am, you know, I'm passing over to the young bucks. I have a lot to do before I leave. So let's go back to our uh, initial slide. Bloom where you are planted. A person should take advantage of the opportunities they have in their life and be grateful for their present situation. See, here's what I want you to join with me. This is my, my ask, okay? Can you join me this week in asking God to help you take advantage of the opportunities to reach out to someone who is lost, someone who's in need? Just like all those hands went up that said someone did that for me. Can we take this commitment we have to Jesus Christ and can we generously share that with someone that we have influence over and let them know just how much 
of a good, good father. He really is. And can you and I be grateful for wherever we find ourselves? Can we look at wherever we are, no matter how good or bad it is, and say, God, you've placed me here. God didn't bring the bad. He didn't do it. But he will use it just like he used that persecution. And if God has placed you in a tough situation, look for the opportunities to expand his kingdom. I know this is going to be an issue for some in your theology, but, but God doesn't have as much interest in blessing you so you're okay as he does getting people into the kingdom. I mean, it's true. I mean, when I grew up in the faith my first five or ten years, I believed this was all about claiming God's scripture so I had everything. That's wrong. You know, God's single intent is to expand his kingdom. So, Father, Lord, I'm, I'm praying for them and I'm praying for me. Lord, I want to take advantage of the places you have planted me. I want to take advantage of the people you put in my path. I don't want to be hesitant to share your gospel. Father, help me. No matter what situation I'm in, help me to be grateful. Lord, I have eternal life. I have the God of all the universe as my Father. What in the world do I need? So, Father, help us as a, as a body of believers that you would help us to step up to the challenge. Lord, we're not like the first generation Christians that were driven out of their homes and their lands and just had nothing but their commitment to you and their generosity to share. Help us. Help us that we can build that fervor, turn away from complacency, Lord, and do what you would have us to do to do what you've called us to do, which is expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Before we leave, if you're here today and you say, Ed, I, I, don't, I don't really know that I need to expand the kingdom. I need to get in the kingdom. You don't know Jesus. Everyone here will tell you it's the most amazing time of their lives. And you know, it's like stepping into a boat you can't quite see. You, I can't prove to you what I just said is true, but I can show you hundreds of lives that would tell you it's true. So today, step in the boat. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, step in the boat. And what do we say? You've got to believe in your heart. You've got to confess with your mouth. Find a person anywhere around you and say, today, I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Today, I've made a decision to step in his boat and trust him. So be blessed, everyone, and uh, have a great Sunday. You are dismissed. <laughs>